morning, everyone. It's a little quiet in here. Uh, we can go ahead and begin, and we can fix that problem. So let me uh, let me go ahead and get us started. We can go to the Lord in prayer together and ask Him to bless our time. Uh, Father, thank you that you can you've given us the great privilege of coming together as your church here this morning once again as we come with your people, uh, a group that we don't deserve to be part of, a group that is a great blessing to all of us, uh, corporately, individually. A, uh, a group that is brought together by your grace and your mercy and for your purposes. And we ask that you would help us as we consider how we might engage in the realm of government and politics, that we would remember your purposes for us, that we would have clarity about them. Uh, what are they for us uh, that you have laid out for us to be as a church? Uh, what things have you told us to do uh, directly as Christians? And we pray then that you would give us wisdom in how we might play that out and how we might apply that, the way that we might use the freedoms that we have, not only the political freedoms, but in particular the Christian freedoms that we have, to, uh, to use them with wisdom and to use them in a way that most brings glory to your name and brings blessing to other people through Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would give us uh, wisdom and understanding of our own hearts, help us to know our own temptations and tendencies, help us to see where we fall short of walking in righteousness, uh, help us to remember the grace of the gospel of Christ. And we pray that you would be glorified in all that we say and do this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, so we're going to jump back in this morning to talking about the Christian and politics. We have spent a couple of weeks looking at this already. Uh, just to note while we're here, and I'll make sure to mention this at the end as well, but uh, next Sunday morning during this time will be our members meeting. So we will not be having a Sunday school class at that time. Again, members meeting will be next Sunday during this hour. Uh, we'll make sure that that is announced more than just right now as well. Uh, but we're talking about the Christian and politics. And we began by considering uh, the things that we need to think about if we're going to get engaged politically, meaning if we are going to talk about these things to other people, if we're going to try to persuade people, if we're going to state our positions publicly, some of the things that we need to make sure of there. And we talked about matters like gospel clarity, uh, heavenly versus earthly thinking, uh, how our vocality or our positions, uh, the result of that might affect church unity and edification and what we ought to do about that. Um, and then also our own character and our influence. Do we have the ability to do this and do we have the ability to make a difference? Can we handle the spotlight? Can we handle interaction? Can we handle conflict? Are we ready to do this? And then do we actually have an audience? Do we have people that this is going to be worth taking the time to actually do? Um, then we began to look at considerations for following politics, which is probably the place where most of us live, although we certainly uh, have most likely all expressed one political opinion or another in our lives, but following this, like learning about it, tracking it, watching the news, reading things, um, just spending our time tracking after these things. And so a few things that we began to look at last week, one was, do we need to know these things for some direct reason related to our areas of responsibility. And one of the things that came up was that there are certain things that are connected with politics, in particular uh, cultural matters, that it can be helpful to know as we think about how to encourage and to help and even to lead other people in our, in our sphere of respons uh, responsibility through those matters. So it can be helpful to kind of know what's going on so that we're not blindsided by those things and so that when, when people have uh, these issues come up, we can actually be prepared to talk about them. We can know what's down the pike. We 
can know what might be going on, say, in someone's school so that they can then, we can take the appropriate uh, preparatory measures and instruct people in a way that's going to help them to be prepared for that. Uh, so we talked about that with regard to uh, the question, do I need to know this for some direct reason related to my areas of responsibility? And in that case, you might treat um, following the, what's going on in politics in some senses the way that you might just learn about, you know, the best methods for, um, for how to teach someone or the latest in, um, you know, home or vehicle technology, if you're going to be involved in those kinds of things. Whatever it might be, you're just keeping up with what is kind of going on right now so that I can be not necessarily at the cutting edge, although you can be, but just aware of the things that I and other people that I care about are going to be interacting with. Um, we also talk, uh, talked about the idea of whether this will make us more anxious if we find out about something. Um, we are instructed to not be anxious, to not set our hearts on the things below, to um, not worry and to try to carry all those burdens ourselves. And very often when we follow politics, that's exactly what we're doing instead of following the Lord's command on these things. We are not seeking first the kingdom of God and letting him, trusting him for our provision, for our care, for our circumstances, for our future. Instead, we are watching these things with great interest because we think um, these things are what's going to impact my future. And I am going to just read these with a kind of hopefulness. I'm going to follow this and say, well, you know, hopefully I can do something about this. Uh, we might not really know exactly what that is, but if we watch it, then, you know, maybe we'll have some kind of an answer for it. We'll have some way of, uh, it's like it, it, there's a, an itch there that we don't necessarily know how we're ever going to scratch, but we at least contend to the fact that there's an itch by watching this and finding out about this. So the end result very often is we actually just become more anxious because we see something we don't like or we learn about someone doing something and getting away with it that we don't think they should get away with or we see all of the evil going on in the world and it makes us worry about what's going to take place in our own lives. Um, so the idea you need to have is, is this actually going to help me or is this going to move me toward being more anxious about the world in general and what my future is going to look like? Um, Another principle we looked at is whether this will tempt us to unwise behavior. Will this tempt us to unwise behavior? In other words, are you so wrapped up in what's going on that it's going to cause you, maybe out of your anxiety, maybe out of disproportionate attention to certain matters, that you're going to wander off into foolish conduct. And um, I kind of mentioned a parallel to what we find in 1 Timothy 6, where people who love money and want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, Paul says, many foolish and harmful desires. And they, they start to do foolish things because they're obsessed with this. And we can do the same thing. We can get so uh, wrapped up in and so fearful about certain things that we begin to make unwise, behavior, uh, unwise decisions and say unwise things because we're so concerned and so anxious about what's going on in the political sphere. So this can tempt us to unwise behavior. Uh, I want to pick up there and continue to think about a few questions uh, or a few more questions, considerations, uh, as you might follow politics and as you might follow conversations about the government. Uh, one is, am I being truthful and am I overcoming personal bias in my assessment of people's views and opinions? Am I being truthful and overcoming personal bias in my assessment of people's views and opinions? Now, there are a number of Biblical passages that speak to this. Um, in the New Testament, Jesus was accused of things that actually he had never had the chance to respond to. And even one of the, I believe it was Nicodemus who stood up and said, you know, you, you can't 
judge this man until you've, he's given uh, the opportunity to make his defense. And you're not letting him do that. Um, the uh, Proverbs have a lot to say about this. But one of them is Proverbs, Proverbs 21.2, which says, Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. And then uh, verse, uh, Proverbs 18.17 says, The first to plead his case seems right. Until another comes and examines him. The first to plead his case seems right. Until another comes and examines him. Uh, when you follow the political world, what is your diet? What is your intake? And do you, uh, do you follow people who ever get pushback on the ideas that you are following them for? Uh, it's very common in the political entertainment world to pick the people that you like for whatever reason. Maybe it's what you grew up with. Maybe it's the opposite of what you grew up with. Maybe they hit on certain things that you can see are very obviously true and other people are in the, uh, in the wrong on that. And then those people and their opinions become unassailable functionally. You start to believe them no matter what they say and the other side of the argument on every single possible issue suddenly becomes uh, impossible for the other side to be right or for anyone else to be right. And we lionize people or we lionize certain positions in parties and groups uh, and sources. And we begin to say, this person is right and the other side is wrong about literally everything, literally everything. Now, I'm not saying that there are not, uh, that there is not truth and that there are maybe is not one person who might be more right than another person, one group or one person that might have better perspectives on things than others, uh, one that might line up more biblically than others. But when we're talking about what the actual facts of the issues are, you need to make sure that you understand the truth. What is the actual truth? Uh, what is this person saying? What did this bill say? What is this election about? What is this candidate actually saying? Did he say this? Did she say this? Or is that just the caricature by the person that is quoting them or supposedly quoting them? It's very easy when we want something to be true so badly to just take whatever is fed to us, it prepackaged in the way that we want it, and just to take that as what the truth is. But being truthful and trying to align with what God knows to be true, and we can't get down to the depths of that, but we want to get to an accurate and real understanding of what's going on. Uh, it calls us to say, what is actually true and not just what do I want to be true? Am I actually being fair to the person that I'm arguing against? Are they saying what, what someone else says they're saying or are they saying something different? So we need to understand the actual arguments that someone's making and we need to understand the facts. We don't need to just say, well, this is my guy, this is what he says, this is my pundit, this is my candidate. Whatever he says must be reality. There is no one like that who has ever existed except for one, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we follow anyone else or treat anyone else like that with that degree of they're always right, then we're exalting them to a place that they do not have a right to and they should not have a right to in our hearts. So make sure that you're overcoming personal bias in your assessment of other people's views and opinions. Now, you may uh, already be in the same position that you're going to end up in through doing that. And that's fine. That's not a problem. But just be honest with the facts and be honest and truthful with what other people are saying and what they're actually doing and the reality of what's going on. Uh, so this might mean certain things like checking out multiple sources. 
It might mean that you, uh, if someone says so-and-so said this, then you go and you actually try to look at the quote or watch the video or the audio from something. Uh, it means that if someone is arguing against a position that someone has, that you read up on the actual position of the other person so that you can see, well, that's what they're actually saying. And that you don't just take everything from your preferred place and assume that people who are disagreeing, that the other person must always be wrong just because you like the person that you're listening to or that you're following. Um, do you have any other uh, thoughts or ways that you might be careful to do this and that you might uh, pursue the truth and that you might be as unbiased in the right kind of way as possible as you interact with these political opinions and perspectives? Do you have any practices that you follow that are helpful for this or that you could begin to follow that might be helpful for this? Yes, honest perspectives, uh, honest, what was it with the, uh, respectful. respectful, yes. Yeah. Yep, honest, respectful conversations with other people about these matters, yep. Uh, Tracy? Yeah, so going to, yeah, actually going to the source on the opposite perspective. Yeah, good. What else? Anything else? Yeah, Patrick. Yeah, you can see where there's a trick. Yeah, so edutainment is a, it's a good way to put it. Yeah, we're, we're not in it for the work, you say. Like, I'm not in it for the work. I'm in it because, hey, this gives me something to think about, something to do, something to 
confirm how right I am about the world in the process of doing this. So it's like, uh, it's very affirming to what we already think. Uh, helps us pass the time. Helps us with some other things like uh, being able to think that we're better than other people. That's another thing coming up that we want to talk about. Um, so there, but there's there's a, a complication when it comes to these matters because then we very easily then get into we can at least get into very serious conversations where there are matters of it matters if you're right or wrong on these issues and it impacts people's lives. And so it's a little bit different than maybe arguing about, you know, who's going to be the best baseball team this year, which is another way that people, you know, will entertain themselves, pass the time, and maybe even confirm their own personal biases. Uh, in this case, we're not taking that and saying, you know, you're a horrible person because you're a Yankees fan, although that's pretty close, I have to say. Uh, but you're not going to actually pass a moral judgment on someone for that, whereas in the realm of politics, you might. You might. These are things that have a lot more real impact on people's lives. So, uh, and then there are also issues of um, morality that come into play in terms of the overlap between uh, what Scripture teaches that people, and in particular Christians, ought to be and do, and then what is actually being done or what's not being done. So it gets mixed up in that realm as well. So yeah, when we're just listening to it and we just want things to confirm our priors, then that's going to cause some issues. Um, what maybe you uh, you probably understand that if you're listening to secondary sources, maybe things that are collating or they're collecting ideas and they are you know sort of giving you a digest of what's going on, um, that can be a helpful kind of tool. But it might be good maybe not to check out every single thing that they say and like, all right, every article that this person quotes, I'm going to go and I'm going to read the whole thing and then I'm going to go and I'm going to find the people who are quoted in this article and I'm going to ask them in person, did you actually say that? that way. There's really no way to get back all the way to that degree of source, but it could be helpful from time to time just to make sure that, you know, a random quality check of the person's uh, uh, expression, the way that they're actually taking what they're reading and communicating that to you, just go and look every so often and inspect and say, okay, I'm going to go look at this thing they're saying. Is that what that article is actually saying? Is that what that person meant when they said that? And if it lines up, great. They can continue to be a trusted source because, again, you can't get into everything. We don't have time to do all of this ourselves in many places. But, you know, if you listen to maybe a news show and it goes through five or six events for the day, then go, you know, once a week, go and check out one of those stories and just see, hey, does this line up? The, the way that this was conveyed to me and what I understood from this, does this actually line up with the source that's there? Can they quote that? Can they show where this came from and so on? Just make sure that you're not just, uh, you know, being told what you want to hear and not dealing with the facts. This is not the way Christians should operate. It shouldn't just be based on what we want to be true. It's based on what actually is true. All right, any other thoughts on uh, overcoming personal bias in this process? Yeah, Kyle. Yes, there are there are those as well. Personal things that you people that you might like the way that they appear or the way they present themselves, the way they sound. Yeah, the British accent is just not fair, is it? Like it just makes you instantly more believable. Uh, yeah, so that's a good good point as well. Yeah, Hannah.
that's a great point. So the, uh, the Hannah talking about the, finding somebody that articulates the position well and that actually is a good representative of that position, even if you end up disagreeing, it's the difference between the concepts of uh, fighting uh, of straw manning versus steel manning. You guys heard the terms? Um, so instead of a straw man where you set up someone that's easy to tear down and then you take the weak version of the opposite argument and you deal with that, uh, you actually set up what is, the, what is the best argument that someone else has for their position. And I would even go so far to say that not that you have to do this all the time in every situation because, again, there's only limited amounts of time and you have to make a judgment on what is important enough to actually go into these depths on um, rather than just maybe be aware of. But trying to understand the position that the other person has in such a way as that you can articulate to that, that to them as well as or maybe even better than they do. And it might even be by articulating what they believe that they come to see for the first time that it doesn't make sense and it doesn't add up. Just actually forcing them to that clarity. A lot of times our positions are clearer in our head than they are when we actually start to put them down when we speak or when we write. So trying to understand them in such a way is that when you say, so this is your position, that they would say, yes, that's exactly what my position is. And I, I know you don't agree with it, but that's what I believe. So that would be, uh, that's a great practice. So yeah, I appreciate that, Hannah. That's a good point. Don't straw man. Instead, uh, you should steel man the opposite position. And then if you can take it down, great. Now that's a little scary and it's a little more work. And again, as Patrick said, I'm not in it for the work. But if we're going to make, uh, if we're going to make claims that other people are wrong or that they are bad in some way, then we need to be honest in the attempt to do that. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, and ask the following question. Does this cause me to be more arrogant or unloving toward others? Does this cause me to be more arrogant or unloving toward others? Titus chapter 3 says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. To malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He says we are to malign no one or to speak evil of no one. The Apostle Paul does. And have certain attitudes instead toward people. Peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. This is not um, an argument tactic. And this isn't just a, a standalone set of character attributes. This is something that comes because Paul says this is the way that you would have wanted to be treated when you were in a similar position. And we need to account for the fact that we once were exactly like the people that we are tempted now to look down upon. People who are disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, and so on. People who live their lives in sin 
it's very easy to look down upon them when you understand the truth of God. But understanding the truth of God means you don't just know the truth of what should be done. It's that you also recognize the nature of the gospel. And that the only reason you're not going down that spiral path is because of God's mercy toward you. He saved us, verse 5, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Now, look, there's a lot of crazy out there. Okay, let's, let's just acknowledge that. There are a lot of things where you're going, how did you even come up with a worldview like this? This is so bizarre. This is so wild. You know, how can you think that it's actually, that, that it's actually possible to say that you're neither male nor female? Like, or that you might shift between the two. How can you possibly say that you are a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body when the body itself is part of actually being one or the other? How can you say these kinds of things? There's all kinds of crazy uh, things that go against what God actually says. And that's not just in that area of gender or um, things like it, but really just anything that man can come up with. Man is very good at inventing things to do that go against God. In fact, Romans 1 includes that in the list of condemnations of mankind. He refers to the unbelieving world as inventors of evil. We come up with things to do all the time that go against God. That's the favorite human pastime. But when we think about those things, is the way that we are consuming that and that we are presenting that Going, it, does it cultivate in us an arrogance toward people who have ungodly conduct, unbiblical viewpoints? And do we then begin to resent them because we're more concerned that we stop them from overtaking the world that belongs to God and the world that we want to live in? We're more concerned about that than we are about accomplishing what God wants us to to accomplish that he has laid out in his word. Are we more concerned about our own comfort, walking in the midst of such a world, and uh, are we looking down on people who do this, or are we gentle, are we peaceable? We can call what's going on any kind of sin. We can refer to it, as verse 3 says, foolishness, disobedience. We can refer to it as deception and being a slave to lusts and pleasure, and we can even recognize when he... These things are here when there's malice and envy and people are hateful and they hate each other. But how do we respond to that? So, for example, it's, uh, it is, in my opinion, pretty obvious, but this is just my opinion, that much of what goes on in our world today and much of uh, a great swath of uh, at least one political perspective when it comes to the... Um, when it comes to the place of government and what it ought to be and how big it ought to be and what it ought to do, things like that, that much of that is driven by envy, that a lot of it is driven by envy. Um, and Paul says that it's natural for people to be that way. They're, it is natural for people to be envious of others. So if I look at that and I say, okay, yeah, I think that what you're aiming for and what you're trying to accomplish is envious, and that's why you're talking this way about certain groups of people. This is why you're trying to enact these political reforms that you're trying to enact. I can have that opinion and say, I think that that's what's behind that and what's driving that. But when I say, I think that those people are envious, what I'm tempted to do is to say, and we need to just show them that they're wrong. That's kind of the end of the story. They need to stop being envious. And what Paul teaches us with regard to the gospel is, we once ourselves spent our life in envy until God did what? Until he saved us. And 
it was by his mercy that we are no longer living in that way. It's by his grace. So we shouldn't be arrogant or speak evil of such people, even if we want to say, well, this is a pretty obvious evidence that you're operating out of this sinful way of thinking. So we have to distinguish those two things. It's okay to identify things as wrong and as sinful, but what do we do with that? That's the question. And there are a lot of, um, well, I would just even say most political outlets and pundits are not sitting there telling you, okay, here is what the people you disagree with are saying. Now, you need to think about them in terms of what Christ thinks about them. And you need to think about them in gospel terms. And you need to think about how they are the mission field. And that they're not just people to be opposed in the political world. Instead, you get motivated to take political action. You get motivated to talk about them in these terms of just mere morality. Not in terms of they're sinful and they need the gospel. So beware that the way that you follow these things. And uh, the, the people that are that are kind of informing your thinking about this. Don't let them make you think about these kinds of sins, which are real problems. Don't let them make you think about these things in terms of us against them, in terms of looking down on them for their foolishness and their sinfulness. Instead, make sure that you keep your own history in view. Make sure you are humble toward other people, knowing what you once were, and knowing that it's only by God's grace that you have been changed. So does this cause me to be more arrogant or unloving toward others? Anybody want to confess that any particular thing makes you more arrogant toward other people or tempts you to that? Anybody want to talk about a situation or, or some kind of a, an outlet or angle that makes this difficult? What tempts you to, to be arrogant toward other people? Maybe what tempts your friends toward arrogance and <laughs> anger toward other people? Yeah, so it can happen in the doctrinal realm. Part of sound doctrine is Titus 3, isn't it? <laughs> so it's not just, hey, we're right about the doctrine. Okay, are you right about this doctrine of not being arrogant? Let's include that in your systematic theology. Yeah. What about when we think about truth? These people aren't acting in line with the truth. They're not acting in line with God's standards. Well, one of God's standards is how we respond to people who are not responding to God's standards. So we don't get to pick just the certain ones that we like and then don't apply it to other people or don't apply it in our, in our conduct toward other people. Yeah, any other thoughts on this idea of uh, not being arrogant or unloving toward other people in light of seeing them through certain political lenses? Yeah, good. Yeah, not, not actually engaging the substance of things. Yeah, uh, 
Yeah, so there's, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, because there's, there's a few things that even come in connection with that, and kind of the, the, the manner of interaction, the tone, and things like that. Um, being peace, peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men, um, it doesn't mean that you do not take firm stands on things. It doesn't mean that you don't sometimes have a high volume on things. Um, it doesn't mean that you don't highlight things with great seriousness and sobriety. And it doesn't mean that you just kind of uh, affirm everyone. That's part of what the, the tactic is. You have to affirm us in what we're doing. So people will use the be nice to me, you know, your tone and being kind. They can very easily use that to cover up things that they're doing that are wrong. And basically it doesn't matter how you interact with them or what you say. You're going to be accused of, of speaking to them wrongly. So we need to watch out for that. Uh, make sure that that is not something that we allow to be held against us. Um, I would also make the argument that um, along with substantive arguments like what you're saying need to take place, that there is a place for, as Proverbs 26 calls it, answering a fool according to his folly. Now, what that looks like does not mean answering a fool with ungodliness and unkindness, but it does mean that there is perhaps a place for witty or clever kinds of things. I think, um, you know, some of you understand that there can be certain types of sarcastic humor or cartoons or things like that that can be used to make a very clear point in ways that otherwise is unable to be made. Uh, you have to be careful with this. It takes great skill to do this well, but I don't think that that's off the table when it comes to, you know, you don't have to argue for these things on my terms. I think there are people that would love if you had to go through exactly their way of making the point that they don't want you to make in the first place so that they, they whittle it down where all you can do is uh, be very weak in your ability to do that. So there, there may be a place for using you know, clever statements for using sarcasm, for using humor to make a point. Um, but that has to be surrounded in godly motivations and in and uh, trying to pursue Christian goals, not just to dunk on the other side of the argument, you know, so to speak, not to just get a victory and win points and score points with your tribe. You need to actually uh, be engaged in the argument for the sake of it as well. So, uh, th there are some things that surround that as well that, um, that we need to consider. All right, um, let's move on to another consideration. Does this, and this is related, does this feed my self-righteousness or can I use it in humility? Does this feed my self-righteousness or can I use it in humility? Uh, Luke 19, or excuse me, Luke 18, there is a parable of two men. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, you'll notice here that this tax collector was distinguished by the fact that he was actually humble before God. He was repentant. He was someone who recognized that he needed God's grace. This is not a blanket excuse of all tax collectors. This is not a statement that 
God is going to accept people who are the worst of sinners just because they're the worst sinners. They have to actually repent. They have to humble themselves. That's what he says in verse 14. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And someone can be an outcast. They can be uh, a horrible sinner and never turn from their evil ways. And God does not show favor to them just because they were so bad. That's not the point of this parable at all. But it is true that God is gracious toward those who are humble. And there's a warning to people who think that how you have behaved throughout your life to a certain point is the way that God is going to see you. And what he says in verse 9 tells us what he's trying to get across. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. You can see the language in verse 11. The Pharisee looks at this other guy and says, thank you that I'm not like him. Thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I think you need to ask yourself, when you follow politics and culture, how much of that is so that you can say to yourself in your heart, thank you, God, that I'm not like these other people. Thank you, God, that I am not like the LGBTQ and, you know, add your letters jokingly, whatever they are now, and I don't even know what they all are. Thank you, God, that I am not like these people who riot and steal. Thank you, God, that I'm not like these unreasonable people. Thank you. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that. And not in the sense of, God, you're so merciful to me because I would be like them. If you gave me enough time in this world, and if you had not restrained me through providential circumstances or informing my conscience through having the Bible or whatever other motivations that I would have, thank you, God, that I'm not like them. That it's appropriate to thank God that he has kept us from things and that he has saved us from such conduct. That is appropriate to truly thank him. But when we go to these things for the purpose of seeing how we're better than other people, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a form of self-righteousness that maybe doesn't get all the way to where this Pharisee was who refused to humble himself and confess his need of salvation. We would still say that we're sinners in need of salvation. But when then it kind of comes to how we functionally operate in the Christian life, it can be very easy to go and to say, well, these people are just doing these horrible things and I am so much better than they are. So much better. So ask yourself, if this feeds your self-righteousness or if you can use it in humility. Look, if you want to be godly, one of the greatest attributes that you must have is humility. And if you're thinking about how much should I get involved in following something, if that thing cultivates in you a kind of self-righteousness and a pride over other people, you probably need to be careful how much of that you're consuming. And you need to reframe the way that you see and reframe the way you think about it. And it doesn't mean that you put it aside forever or completely or even necessarily at all. Maybe you can change the way you think about that even on the fly. But you do need to make sure you consider this. Is this going to make me self-righteous? Am I going to, am I already doing this out of self-righteousness? Challenge your own heart in the way that you think about these things. Be humble in the way that you approach other people. So does this feed my self-righteousness or can I use it in humility? Uh, any other Thoughts or questions on that particular point? On being self-righteous versus being humble. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, let's ask another question, which we asked in the engagement section, but we can do it here as well. What is the effect this has on aiming for heavenly versus earthly treasures? What is the effect this has on aiming for heavenly versus earthly treasures? I'll read Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's the twofold command here? Don't do something and do something. What's the direct command? Someone shout it out. Okay, don't store up treasures where? On earth. And do store up treasures where? In heaven. Okay. How is it that we store up treasure in heaven? Okay. So we're seeking heavenly reward, right? We're serving. We're sacrificing here. We're, we're doing what, what connects to the kingdom of God. That's what he says in verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then um, during this time, all these things will be added to you. The things that you need, what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear. But seek first his kingdom. So yeah, we are, we're doing that. We are storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And there is a wisdom component to this. Which is treasures on earth are temporary and they are, uh, they're, they're breakable. And they are takeable. If we could put it in those terms. Moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. So um, maybe most of you have a lock on your doors or on your vehicles or something. Uh, you have anti-theft measures. You, um, you probably also do maintenance on certain things that belong to you so that your stuff doesn't break down as quickly or the parts that do break down, you just replace so you can keep it going. And um, similarly, you know, th there is kind of a, um, I don't know, have you ever been excited for, to see a political official get elected? Anybody ever been excited about like a single one? You don't have to tell me who it is or anything, but like at least one time have you been happy like, hey, my guy won. Okay, nope, not many people. All right. Uh, but if you have, just think about, first of all, are they still in office now? Are they still in office now? And are the things that you voted for them because of, have those been completely and permanently accomplished? Probably not. And even if they were accomplished for the entire time that person was in office, or even if they're still in office and it's so good so far, or so far so good, what happens five years from now, ten years from now? You have to keep it up. You have to maintain. You have to protect against the weeds. There's this constant threat of things changing in the political world, and in the governmental world that could affect you in some way that you're worried about. So a lot of our following of politics has to do with the worry of what happens if this thing changes. Or how can we keep the decisions from going this way? Okay, we have a good law now, but how can we make sure that it stays as the law? Okay, we have a good judge or a justice here. How can we make sure that we keep this the case going forward? Earthly treasure comes in all kinds of forms, and uh, the means of maintaining earthly treasure also comes in all kinds of forms, one of which very often is politics and government. We follow it because we are concerned about our earthly treasure. 
Now, that's not the only reason we follow it. I'm not trying to say that at all. But one of the reasons is because we're worried what's going to happen to the things that we value in this world. That's why we follow it. And our minds are there. So often, our following of these things is because we have placed too high of a value on things in this world, things in this life. And we have stored up treasure on earth and not enough treasure in heaven. And Jesus tells us in verse 21 that this is going to be the result, this worry, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I always feel compelled when reading this verse to just ask you to stop and think. Um, Usually I have heard this over the course of my life explained something like this. um, Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So wherever you put your treasure is a reflection of what's going on in your heart. Now that's true to a very large degree, but that's not what this verse says. It just doesn't say that. It says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which means your treasure is in a certain place, your heart is going to follow it. Your heart is going to be drawn toward wherever your treasure is. You guys, uh, any of you grow up watching the show uh, DuckTales? You know DuckTales, what I'm talking about? Uncle Scrooge, what's he always worried about? My money bin, my money bin. He's got this giant money bin in the middle of town. It's this huge tower and everybody knows where it is. And somebody breaks in every single episode. It seems like somebody's breaking in to Uncle Scrooge's money bin. Um, Maybe you should, you know, hide that or put it, well, it was too early to put it in crypto or something like that. But you need to do something about your money bin. He's always worried about it. Why? Because it's his treasure. It's his treasure. That's what he values. It's what he values. So he's always worried about that. But we, when we have great treasure somewhere, that's what we're going to be worried about. So if you store up your treasure in heaven and everything is kind of taken away or, hey, there's a threat to this situation. Well, I don't like that. But look, I'm thinking about where my treasure really is. We have this model for us in Hebrews 10 where... He commends these people that he's writing to. He's trying to reassure them that he is confident that they will pass the test and they will persevere in their faith. And he says um, in verse 34 of Hebrews 10, For you showed sympathy to, to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. You accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Now, does this mean that they are affirming the seizure of their property? Of course not. Does this mean that they're saying, you know, those people that came and they took our stuff, they were absolutely justified in doing that? No. Does it mean they would have voted for such people to be in power? Of course not. Does it mean that if they could have stopped it by some godly means that they would have? Yeah, perhaps. But when this happened... They were able to take something like that. People stealing, seizing what belonged to them and still have joy because they knew, I've got something better. I've got something better. When we follow politics in a certain way, when we put our hope in certain government action, and then when we respond to certain threats in the world through this in certain ways, then it really ties our heart into this world. It's not an easy thing to do to put our treasure in heaven in some ways because we, um, we have to wait to see it rewarded and we have to constantly exercise faith in something we haven't seen. 
And yet this is what Jesus says, when we do this, then we will have a secure treasure. We'll have something that can't be taken away from us. So when you, when you follow this, what is it going to, what effect is this going to have on aiming for heavenly versus earthly treasures? Questions, comments on that point? Let's talk a couple more. One I've already mentioned before, uh, so we'll just hit it briefly. Will this change my actual vote or is my mind already made up? Will this change my actual vote or is my mind already made up? You might follow these things for more reasons than that. You might be banking knowledge for the future because you don't want to just come in, you know, two years later, four years later and have to learn everything at that moment. So just because your mind is made up about, um, about an actual vote for uh, a present year or a, a year that's coming soon, just because your, your vote is already made up doesn't mean that you can't follow it to learn more and to just, to, you know, to be, to be well-informed. That's fine. But just at least be honest with yourself about why you're doing it. Am I doing this? And, you know, you're telling people, yeah, I got to stay informed. But you know you are voting straight ticket for exactly this view or this position or this candidate or this party no matter what. You've never deviated from it. You'd have to be, you know, strangled to made to be changed on that. Well, at least be honest with yourself, like why you're doing this and why you're following it. Don't just uh, kind of justify it as, well, I got to know who I'm voting for. Okay, make sure that there are other reasons that you actually have if you're going to say why you're doing it. Um, okay, also, let's ask another question. Am I using this time, am I using the time for politics to the neglect of actual responsibilities? of actual responsibilities. And along with that, another question, am I blocking out Bible consumption and prayer by spending my time on this? Am I blocking out Bible consumption and prayer by spending my time on this? Now, you uh, hopefully, if you have been a believer for some time, you know that part of, part of uh, knowing, believing, and obeying the Bible is that you're not always going to be able to be sitting down reading the Bible. There are responsibilities that you have. If you're going to obey certain passages, that means that there are sometimes when you leave this on the table or on the desk and you go to work, or it means that you go and you do something with your family, or it means you do something with the church, or you go to sleep, or other things where you can't constantly be doing Bible study 24-7. So you understand that this doesn't mean that this is all that you do and that anything you listen to, anything you follow, anything that you like, that you're interested in, it doesn't mean that none of that has any value or any place within the scope of, of uh, taking in and believing and obeying the Bible. But we do need to be wise about it. And Ephesians 5.16 tells us this, uh, verses 15 and 16. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of, the t of your time because the days are evil. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. This is not so much a comment on efficiency, um, you know, trying to squeeze out the most widgets in a certain period of time, although there may be a component of trying to be productive in some way that's involved in this so that you can make the most of your time, but that's not really what this is directly about. Um, use your time well. Use it wisely. Think about it as a finite resource. You only have a certain amount, and if you are going to do the things that God tells us to do, then certain things might keep you from doing that if you spend too much time on them. You only have so many hours in a day. If they're spent thinking about following um, things that are optional, like following politics, 
then it might get in the way of things that we are responsible to do, like meditating on the law of the Lord, Psalm 1, verse 2. Uh, it might get in the way of 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing, or Romans 12, 12, be devoted to prayer. So this doesn't mean, you know, if you spend 55 minutes in prayer and Bible study, but five on politics, well, you could have done a whole hour. I mean, that's true. That's not really the point. But did you follow politics every day, but you didn't think about God's word anytime, and you didn't pray any day? That's maybe the case for you. So is this pushing these things out of the way, and how can you move that in a direction where, okay, this is actually a wise way of living my life? So I'm not telling you never think about these matters, not telling you never listen to anything but an audio Bible. I'm not saying that, but we should all stop and think, are we neglecting certain spiritual opportunities and taking in the way of thinking about things according to the way God wants us to think and renewing our minds and learning what we are supposed to obey? Are we doing that and are we crying out to God and depending upon him in prayer or is this being prevented because we are spending our time following these other things? And of course, this can apply to a lot of other areas as well of entertainment uh, or again, to use Patrick's great term, edutainment. Uh, but politics is one that might be prominent in some of our lives. So don't block out Bible consumption and prayer by uh, just engaging in this all the time to the neglect of the things that are going to help you to grow spiritually. All right, we have a few more um, we want to talk about next time in terms of uh, just a few more things on following politics and then maybe a few thoughts on if you were to ever consider running for political office or know someone who is. I don't know if that's anybody's ambition in here, but if you were, just a few things with that to think about. Um, next week, we'll have our members meeting during this time. I mentioned this at the beginning, so we won't have a normal Sunday school class. It'll be members meeting, which, as you guys know, we ask all members to be here and only members to be here for that. Uh, but we will pick back up in government and politics in a couple of weeks and be wrapping it up um, within maybe the first two or three weeks of March. So uh, hopefully this has been helpful for you so far. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning, and thank you for your word, which tells us how we ought to think about the world and to put it in its proper place and position and all that is in it. Give us wisdom as we engage in these things and uh, help us to walk with wisdom, making the most of our time to glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.